0: Well, if you are a guest, we would love for you to stop by Connecting Point before you leave. It's just down the stairs, and to your right, you'll see a big sign there. We have a gift for you. We'd be glad to answer any questions that you may have. Also, if you smelled something good when you walked in, that's because uh, today is the chili luncheon fundraiser for our youth supporting their mission trip. And so we, a whole lot of people have made all kinds of different pots of chili over there, and you can go taste test and decide which one you like uh, the most. And so once we're done here... You can just go in there and immediately get in line and go through the line. We would encourage you to sit with somebody uh, that you don't know or maybe somebody you do and haven't talked to in a long time and just visit with people, and everything given is just a donation basis. If you came without money, we still want you to eat chili with us and just enjoy the fellowship time. Anything given goes straight to the mission, um, uh, the Youth Mission uh, Project, and so we would love for you to be involved in that. Uh, Also... Uh, we're really glad that Dave Dunson is going to be preaching with us, uh, for us this morning. If you have uh, your Bibles, you can pull them out in just a moment. In your bulletin, there's a sermon page you can follow along. We've been going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit, so we're excited about that. And I wanted to tattle on Dave. You're not going to talk about what you're doing on Monday nights, are you? Am I going to? Okay, I didn't want to ruin your sermon, like closing line or something. Um, One of the really cool things uh, that I just wanted us to pray about before Dave came up, if that's all right with Dave, Um, uh, Dave has led Grief Share here. Grief Share uh, is kind of packaged in different ways, but it's usually a 10 week program for people who have lost a loved one and is so helpful for those folks. And Dave had been praying about where he would do that next and how he would do that next. And he got a call out of the blue. And the short story is that God kind of orchestrated Dave going down to the Salvation Army and leading a grief share program there. It started three weeks ago um, on Monday nights uh, with a group of guys who can all tell you how the loss of a loved one spiraled their life out of control in all kinds of different ways. And so I love what Dave is getting to do there. And just as a church family, I wanted you to know that one of the things happening on Monday nights through church family is that a grief share in the name of Jesus is being taught um, by Dave to help folks who uh, need a lot of love and a lot of care. And so uh, I just wanted to pray for Dave and for the Monday evenings uh, and all that's happening there. And then uh, Dave will come up and and be preaching for us. Lord, we, we thank you. Um, for how you're using the Grief Share program that really wise and caring people developed and Dave studied and took a long time to learn how to present well. And we just pray for what's happening on Monday nights. Uh, We pray for the men who are there, who come from different walks of life and different backgrounds and lots of grief and sorrow and pain. And we pray that over the course of the next several weeks that you would use Dave and his time there uh, to help a healing process in them begin uh, that will change their lives and change the lives of those around them. And so give Dave strength and energy and wisdom and compassion as he leads that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: <clears throat> the. Uh... First night, and I've told Brian this, first night I met, met with these guys and, and uh, one of the guys who was very new in the program at Salvation Army said, uh, looked at me and said, my psychiatrist says I'm a volcano. <laughs> and in my heart I'm saying, God, don't let it erupt today. <laughs> but through the course of these weeks that we've already spent together, I've seen God at work in this guy's heart, and, uh, well, that ruined that sermon illustration. <laughs> you know, my name is Dave, and uh, we're continuing in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Doesn't that make you want to eat cereal? I mean, you've got your, you know, I know it has an effect because I saw Terry Grufik licking the bulletin. I, I just, you know, so. But we're in this series on the fruit of the spirit and one of the things that that I love about this series is there are so many different ways you can approach uh the study of the fruit of the spirit and so when we were working on on this series you know and Brian said we're going to be using check text out of the book of Luke and I was like how will how will that work and uh and, and so it has, been, it has been, to me, a phenomenal study. In each week, if you've noticed, there's been an individual that has been uh, highlighted or mentioned or a part of the narrative, and uh, we talked about that, is that, that God just seems to find a knucklehead and use him, and, uh, and today he's using a couple of knuckleheads, um, three if you count me, but in the story, there are two knuckleheads that we're going to talk about uh, and so we're going to be taking a look at that, but our focus today is on patience. And, and I, I just want to see if if patience. You know, we last we started love, joy, peace, and patience. And, and I want to see if if any of these comments about patience sound like something you you yourself might have said. I wish my body was as thin as my patience. Anybody relate to that? Do I run? Well, yes, I do. Out of patience. Anybody relate to that? Thanks to you, I have found the end of my patience. We're always looking for the end of something. Here's my favorite one. It's a prayer. Lord, give me patience. Because if you give me strength, you're going to need to give me bail money too. (laughs) how do we approach patience how do we take a look at that now when Brian started the series he read from Galatians chapter 5 and he started in verse 19 and that's that is that begins with the works of the flesh the acts of the flesh or the sin nature and then he contrasts that Paul contrasts that with the fruit of the spirit and so you have the side effects of of the flesh of the sin nature, and the side effects of the fruit of the Spirit. And it is important for us to understand it is what God is doing. But when you think about side effects, have you noticed some of the medications that are now being promoted? And by law, they all have to include potential side effects. Remember the one about for, for uh, arthritis? And it says, talks about how great this is for arthritis, And then it goes on to say, this one may also cause indigestion, diarrhea, abdominal pain, heart attack, stroke, leading to death. But the voice is so calm all the way through it. And I think what it means is that even if you die, you're not going to have pain and arthritis, even if this medicine (laughs) kills you. Probably my favorite drug is the one that is listed as a cure for restless leg syndrome. Yeah, some of you remember that one, right? Because it goes on. Tell your doctor if you suddenly have increased gambling, sexual, or other urges. Hey, Zeke, how's that new medicine doing for your leg? Ah, it's great, but I can't afford it anymore. Why? Because I lost all my money at the casino. I... Side effects, how do we approach the side effects? And we're going to be looking at at patience, and patience, by definition, in in the the Greek word, the definition is divinely empowered patience, long-suffering, forbearance. It is the opposite of a person being short-tempered is a person being long-tempered, a person having patience. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, so if you want to open your Bibles, please do that. Uh, Third book in the New Testament. And there are are several events in Christ's ministry that are listed uh, in chapter 9. And some of those events are are mentioned in other Gospels. In fact, some of them are mentioned in, in two other Gospels. One of them is mentioned in all four Gospels. But the text we're going to look at today is is the only place this section of Scripture is found. It's Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there with me, let's read it together. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, those are the knuckleheads I referred to earlier, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. I want us to take a little bit closer look there at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Another translation says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That picture of him setting his face, the word there means steadfast, resolute. It is making a decision, choosing to go, and having that choice impact everything that you're doing. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 10, he's, Mark records the same event when they're going to Jerusalem. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, he says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Look at that. Jesus leading the way, the disciples astonished, and the other people in the group were afraid. Talk about intense. Talk about resolute. Talk about steadfast, setting his face. It is the picture of a soldier leading his platoon into battle. Time for small talk is over. They have started out on their journey. They are thinking about all of the things that they have been trained to do, all of the things that they are equipped to do, all of the things that they will need to do. They know that danger lies ahead. They know that there is an objective to be reached, they know that there is a victory to be won. That's Jesus leading his disciples on the way to Jerusalem because he knows he's going to go there to die. His objective, he set his face, he is resolute, he is steadfast. I am going to Jerusalem and there I will die and then I will be raised from the dead and I will return to my Father in heaven. That is the picture that we have of Jesus being resolutely setting his face, ready to go. It is interesting that in the Old Testament, both the prophets Elijah and Ezekiel refer to a time in which their face was like flint. In other words, everything would be deflected off of it, and they were dealing with people whose faith in God was nil or who were actually not following God at all and that's kind of the circumstance that Jesus is facing as he goes into Jerusalem or as he's on his way to Jerusalem the scripture tells us that he set out for Jerusalem and he sent his disciples or he sent some messengers into Samaria to find a place for them He knew where he was going. He knew he was going through some area that would be difficult. Verses 52 and 53, He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because, why? The scripture says because he was heading to Jerusalem. Why would that upset them? Here's the the point, if you're following along in your sermon notes. The first thing is this. Jesus demonstrates patience with unbelievers and outsiders. That's something that's really important for us to recognize, that part of our witness is how we treat people outside of the church, how we treat people who do not yet know Christ. And see, this was not Jesus' first encounter with the Samaritans. Because in John chapter 4, we read that Jesus was with his disciples this time, and this is interesting. This time, early in his ministry, they had been in Jerusalem and they were returning to Galilee. And so they came back into Samaria. If you're in geography, you remember that Galilee is in the north, Judah is, Judea is in the south, Samaria is right in the middle. And I-35, sort of, runs north and south. They had to go to Samaria. But the Samaritans and the Jews had a long history, I mean centuries-long history of animosity toward one another. But in John chapter 4, we find that Jesus and his disciples come in to the area of Sychar. Jesus stops at the well, which is outside of the city. His disciples go in to get some supplies, to get food. A woman from, Samar- from Sychar comes out, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus begins to engage her in conversation. And as he engages her in conversation, he begins to reveal to her that he knows more about her than she might think he would because he's a stranger from the- to that area. He even says to her, I want you to go get your husband and and bring him here and let's talk. And she says, "I, I don't have a husband. And he said, You know, your answer is correct. You've had five, and the guy you're with now isn't. And then that Samaritan woman immediately goes to the default setting for all Samaritans as they deal with Jews. She says to Jesus, Ah, you're a Jew. We Samaritans believe we should worship here in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You Jews believe you should worship in Jerusalem. That was their contention. It had been their contention ever since Israel came out of Babylonian captivity. And they wanted to worship there. And that was a part of their discussion. That was a part of their animosity. The reason they were willing to engage Jesus as he was going from Jerusalem back to Galilee was that he had already come out of Judea. He was headed someplace else. They would engage him in that, but they weren't going to this time because it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time for the Jewish celebration, and that's where he was going. And so they would not welcome him. And yet Jesus demonstrated patience with them. I I just... You may have noticed, folks, that... There's a lot of animosity in our society today. Maybe I'm the only one that noticed that. You can't watch the news and not know that. You can't listen to the radio and not know that. You can't walk out in public and not know that. Jesus had to have known that. Why in the world did he do that? Why did he, why did he send those guys to Samaria, of all places, to find a place where they could rest on their way. It would take them two to three days to make the journey. And Jesus, as you read the New Testament, he's not on a straight shot. He's on a circuitous route. He's doing a lot of teaching. He's engaging a lot of people. But he still sends people, says, go find us a place to stay the night in Samaria, knowing, why did he do that? Because it gave him an opportunity to demonstrate patience and engage people who had their preconceived ideas about how Jews would react to Samaritans. Do people have preconceived ideas about how you as a Christian will react to them? Is it important for us to be able to say, you know what, I really do want to reflect Jesus and As a reflection of Jesus, I'm not the mean, cantankerous person that you might think I am because I am a follower of Christ. And so Jesus sent them there. But you'll notice that kind of animosity that Jesus was dealing with, you'll notice that it did not fluster him. The Australian theologian Graham Hill wrote, God calls his church to be a distinct people, a distinct ethic, a distinct story, a distinct peace, a distinct community, a distinct diversity, and a distinct witness. I love that because this is what God has called us to be. We are, in the in old King James word, we are a peculiar people because there is something distinctly different about the way followers of Christ respond to the people that they encounter. And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that. And James and John didn't, right? Notice the response, verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Yeah, that's kind of the... Typical response: Well, you don't, you don't believe the same way as I do. Well, well, I'll call down fire from heaven. I'll and, and and it's it's a little bit humorous. Do you remember what Jesus gave James and John as a nickname early in the ministry? Son of Sons of thunder, <laughs> Boanerges. Jesus knew them well, and he was not surprised that they were the ones, you know, meanwhile, the Apostle Peter has got to be somewhere in the group. We don't don't hear from him in this story. I would have kind of imagined that Peter is sitting back going, well, at least I didn't stick my foot in it this time. (laughs) Boy, but James and John did. You want us to call down, James, John, are you really able to call down fire from heaven? Probably it was... Maybe if we suggest it, he'll do it. It certainly reflected their attitude about the Samaritans. Well, they don't like us. Well, I don't like them either. Remember, we're talking about patience today. And remember that for a follower of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, a side effect of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Spirit of Christ in you, is that you will be a person who demonstrates a distinctively different patience. Oswald Chambers wrote, The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Sometimes, folks, I am afraid that our fears, can I use that sentence? I believe that our fears reflect a lack of faith in God's ability in my circumstance at the time. James and John were like, these people are rude to us. Let's call down fire. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, let your conversation be always Full of grace, seasoned with truth, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Just look at that for a moment. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Is grace the first thing that comes out of your mouth? And the word conversation here means more than just how how I'm communicating, but it means my life. Is grace the first thing that people think of when they think of me? Is grace the first thing that they think of? Or do they think of, he's kind of like James and John, isn't he? And then what about that seasoned with salt part? That's not an excuse to use salty language. We do understand that, right? That is not what he is saying. But what was salt used for? It was used medicinally, It was used as a preservative. It was used to flavor. Does your speech preserve relationships with people? Does your speech enhance that relationship? Does it provide a curative? Is there something medicinal about the way that you bring healing in a relationship with people because the Holy Spirit is so evident in you by the way that you demonstrate patience toward those who are outside of Christ? Are you winsome that a person says, you know, I've thought this about Christians, but I'm having second thoughts because of him? There are two phrases that kind of bookended for me the month of January. The first phrase was simply two words, six seconds. Now you may wonder, what are you talking about? Do you remember that on the last Sunday of December at the freeway, Church of Christ in Fort Worth, a gunman opened fire. And it was six seconds, lapsed time on the security tape between the time that the gunman first fired fired his first shot and when the security person, volunteer at church, fired his, stopping the threat. Six seconds. And I spent the first part of January just really thinking about that 6 seconds and as a as a shepherd I I want to I want to protect the flock what could I do in 6 seconds to save somebody's life the set, the other sentence is and seven others that's what we heard Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter died in a helicopter crash along with seven others. And as I heard that phrase, I thought, I'm in in that group. I'm in the seven others group. Probably it's been listed someplace. I haven't seen the names of the other people. But the newscasts always say, Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gigi along with seven others. Do we understand that in six seconds and with seven others, God's love was present in both circumstances? And he's called us to be representative of that, even in the moment of tragedy. He's called us to be able to exhibit patience for the ultimate good of God. To be to, to be the outcome. In 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter. Writes. But in your hearts. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who. who always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason. For the hope that you have. But do this. With gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We're going to take a look at gentleness because that's another one of the fruit of the Spirit a little bit later, but I would suggest you could also insert the word patience there. But do this with patience and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak maliciously of you, you see, if someone speaks maliciously of us, we are ready to speak maliciously back. But the scripture teaches us that instead of that kind of a response, we're to respond in such a way that even though they are malicious to us, they begin to have these second thoughts and they go, But he's different. She's different. And maybe they begin to say, maybe I shouldn't have been that way toward them. One of the things that I think is important for us to recognize is that Jesus also demonstrates patience with his disciples. Now, it is interesting how he demonstrates patience. Verse 55 and 56 says, But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Luke, as he writes this gospel and as he writes the book of Acts, makes it very clear that he has done thorough research. And he's writing to a guy named Theophilus and he says, I want to be able to tell you about the ministry of Jesus and I want to be able to tell you about the church that he established. But I've got this complaint about Luke. Luke, couldn't you have told us what Jesus said in the rebuke. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Why did it says he rebuked them. But what did he say? You know, I, I suggest maybe that it had something to do with you sons of thunder. I don't know. <laughs> but it says that he rebuked them. And we need to understand this, that sometimes a rebuke is a part of patience, especially When we're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes being rebuked is the best thing that can happen to us. So Jesus rebuked them, but we also know that He didn't say, Get out of here. He rebuked them, and then they went to another village. If Jesus knew that there was another village they could go to, why didn't He go there first? Because we needed to have a lesson today. James and John needed to see how to really respond in times of conflict. And then they went to another place. Dr. Barry Black is the chaplain of the United States Senate. They've had a few things going on there lately, too. But he had an invocation at the opening of the impeachment hearings. And his invocation closed with, God, help our lawmakers remember that patriots reside on both sides of the aisle, that words have consequences, and that how something is said can be as important as what is said. And then he concluded with this, give them a civility built upon integrity that brings consistency in their belief and actions. Man. Do you need a civility built on integrity that brings consistency in how you respond both to those outside of the church and those inside the church. You see, from Jesus' vantage point, the Samaritans were not obstacles. James and John saw the Samaritans as obstacles that needed to be removed, but Jesus saw them as people for whom he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. that every rebuke that he received in that Samaritan village, he knew that person and he knew he would go to the cross and he would die for them. And even though they rejected him, he still loved them. Folks, Jesus still does that with us. Don't ever forget God does not view you as an obstacle to be avoided. He sees you as someone to be loved into his kingdom. And people are not dispensable. For James and John, call down fire, good riddance. God does not view you that way. I don't care how many times you've messed up. I don't care what's gone wrong in your life. God doesn't look at you and go, you know, I gave you enough chances and you blew it, so you're done, son. No. I'm done, son. (laughs) But God didn't say that to me either. He reaches out to us with patience. If you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about his own conversion. He's talking about how God changed him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying. And If you want to do a quick study, Paul uses that sentence about seven times in Timothy and Titus. Great study. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Now, verse 16, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience, his immense patience. Jesus Christ has shown immense patience for you. We are the recipient of the immense patience of of God. I, I want you to leave here today with two convictions. One is the immense patience that God has demonstrated toward you. And with a renewed determination to be a person who exhibits immense patience toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, toward family members, toward co workers, toward teachers, toward students, towards bosses, towards employees, towards neighbors. And let the immense patience of God in you be revealed to those around you. Father, I thank you that you give to us today an opportunity just to be reminded of what your word says. You give to us today an opportunity to be able to look at at an ugly part of the life of two heroic disciples You still had lessons to learn. And may, Father, from that, may we learn the lessons we need to continue to learn as well. Father, may your Holy Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control just sweep over us and in us and then come out of us in our interactions with others. May we set our face to that kind of life. May we realize that that's the kind of winsome witness that will lead others to Jesus. Help us, Father, to be concerned about the person who does not know Christ so that they can experience your immense patience in their lives as well. May it be evident in us. And to that end, Lord, we we commit ourselves to you.
0: In Christ's name, amen.